What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to episode 23 of the Clip City Podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. And it has been a crazy week, uh, you know, especially for me, um, for a couple reasons. You know, yesterday, uh, Wednesday, was the Clippers introductory press conference for Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Uh, but also on Tuesday... Uh, I had a big story drop with uh, Sam Amick of The Athletic and Shams Sharania, uh, where we co-reported basically an in-depth look at the Clippers' pursuit of Kawhi and Paul George, how a lot of it came together, uh, you know, kind of in between that June 30th and July 5th, uh, when Kawhi agreed to sign and when the Clippers acquired Paul George. Uh, so if you have not checked that out on The Athletic yet, I highly recommend it. Uh, some of the highlights, I would say, uh, were, were just some of the details of, of the Malibu meeting. You know, that was a three-hour sit-down at Doc Rivers' place in Malibu. Uh, Doc was there, Lawrence Frank, Steve Ballmer, Jerry West. Uh, those were the four people representing the Clippers. Then on Kawhi's side, you had Kawhi, uh, Dennis Robertson, his, his uncle, and manager and Mitch Frankel, his agent, uh, among kind of unclear if there's anyone else involved from Kawhi's side, but those were the seven kind of principal figures uh, in the in the meeting. And that you know, the, the Clippers and Kawhi spoke every day during free agency, uh, two to three times a day. You know, Kawhi would call them up with questions; they would call him up with questions. It was a lot of uh, breaking down the roster and and future uh, planning and, and sort of the long-term vision of a potential partnership between the two sides. And I, I think what was evident uh, from what we were told was really from the beginning that, you know, the two sides clicked and it kind of became clear that it was a very good partnership culturally uh, in terms of just they're, they're very aligned with their sensibilities and, and their interests and, and their vision for the future uh, just the, the Clippers kind of deduced from their conversations with Kawhi that they probably needed a second guy because the most important thing for him was winning, winning championships. Uh, this is a guy who has now won two championships. He's been to the finals three times and he's in the peak of his prime. And for him, you know, he's already passed up $80 million uh, collectively uh, between leaving San Antonio and leaving Toronto. So, you know, money, while important, and, and, you know, that's the reason why he signed that two plus one is because now he can opt out after 10 years uh, of playing in the league, uh, get that 35%, uh, you know, max contract in, in 2021 with 8% annual raises versus right now uh, when you have not played 10 years yet, 
your max in the seven to nine year range, your max is 30% of the cap with 5% annual raises. So, you know, money is not not important to Kawhi like that, that, you know, it's important, but it's not the most important thing. The most important thing for him, you know, it was, it was a few factors, but, you know, number one above all was winning and, and you know, being in the best competitive situation. Uh, you know, another big factor for him was being, you know, location, being back home in Southern California. Uh, that is, you know, another big reason why the Lakers were in the mix. And, you know, the other thing is, is just the the culture and the the identity and the sensibilities of the an organization. And, and that's where I think he really matched up well with the Clippers. And, and that was their um, kind of advantage over, you know, especially the Lakers, but but even probably the Raptors to some extent, too. Um, you know, I don't think the Raptors necessarily did anything wrong. I, I just think that Kawhi really wanted to be in LA at the end of the day. And that kind of gave the the Clippers and the Lakers both a, a leg up on the Raptors. Um, but, but, you know, so the Clippers figured out that they needed a second guy. And as we reported, they, you know, inquired and, and kind of put, tr- tried to back channel, you know, uh, is Bradley Beal available? Is James Harden available? No, neither. You know, neither one of those guys. Um, you know, so I forgot who reported it, so I apologize. But uh, someone had also reported Drew Holiday. Uh, you know, as someone they looked into, he wasn't available either. So then, all of a sudden, a a, a stork came with a with a little. Uh, a little package of, uh, of of Paul George, and, and he, he fell out of the sky, uh, ready for the Clippers to trade for him. Um, no, there's as we reported out, there's some conflicting intel that that we received on kind of the whole Paul George situation, how that came about. Um, you know, what does seem clear is that whether you know the Clippers were just spitballing names, or whether Kawhi came to them with a Paul George mandate. The name Paul George came up one way or the other, and Kawhi expressed strong interest in "I want Paul George." If you guys get Paul George, I'm in. You know, I'm in. You know, uh, so that that's kind. You know, uh, now again, I don't. It, it's hard to say. You know, if if I had to guess, I do think Kawhi reached out and was recruiting him, uh, as we also reported in the piece. You know, Paul George and Russell Westbrook went to the Oklahoma City Thunder management around the time of the draft and expressed their discontent, their discontent with the situation. Uh, they didn't demand trades necessarily, but it was more along the lines of, hey, like, you know, we, we've lost in the first round the last couple of years. Uh, we, we were disappointed with, with how things have gone. We need to shake this up. We need to make a, a big change. Uh, you know, I, I think, a potential option was was you know trading for somebody and adding a third piece to that infrastructure uh but they were not happy and, and you know they were open to being traded we also reported that um one team did say they had conversations with the thunder about uh Westbrook or or they had heard that Westbrook was potentially available before you know around the time of the draft so uh Going back to, you know, so the Thunder, it kind of felt they had quelled those concerns, but one way or the other, Paul George and, and Kawhi started talking uh, and Kawhi started, you know, uh, recruiting him. Uh, you know, one source we had said it wasn't a recruitment, but, 
you know, recruiting, recruiting, pitching, you know, convincing, persuading, whatever word you want to use. Uh, Kawhi was trying to get Paul to join him, you know, to demand a trade, join him with the Clippers. Uh, the Thunder felt blindsided by that. Um, you know, they, they were not happy about that, but they did oblige Paul's request. They negotiated with the Clippers for two days, eventually, you know, used the leverage against the Clippers of knowing that for the Clippers to land Kawhi, they probably had to get Paul George. Uh, and they leverage that into getting Shea plus seven picks, you know, five first round picks and two pick swaps. Uh, and two of those first round picks, you must note, are from Miami. So it's really only three picks from the Clippers, though with the two pick swaps, it could potentially be essentially like giving up five first round picks if the Clippers aren't good in the mid 2020s. Uh, but, you know, that kind of unfolded and the, the Clippers were able to get Paul George and they called Kawhi and said, you know, well, you know the framework of, of a deal for Paul George, they called Kawhi and said, hey, look, uh, we, you know, we have a deal with OKC. Uh, we can get Paul George right now. Are you in? And that was a very nerve wracking process for the Clippers because you never really know in free agency if someone is in until they're in. Because as we've seen now, you know, Marcus Morris backed out of his situation with San Antonio to go to New York. Uh, DeAndre Jordan, famously 2015, uh, backed out of his agreement with Dallas to go back to the Clippers. And we've seen this time and time again where not necessarily that extent, like th those two scenarios are, are rare. And uh, I think if they continue to happen, it's, it's going to start to be a problem in the free agency process. But more so along the lines of, you know, you'll hear a guy's, this team's interested in this guy or, or a guy's leaning this way. And then all of a sudden he signs with a, another team that no one had heard of. Uh, and, and you even saw some of that with the Kawhi situation where Kawhi, there was so much smoke around the Raptors and Lakers that the Clippers kind of came out of nowhere uh, in terms of like the, the public perception and, and swooped in and got Kawhi. So I, I think for the Clippers, like you, they were concerned, they were really concerned more about the Raptors than the Lakers. And they were concerned that, you know, Kawhi could change his mind, have cold feet, realize that the you know the Raptors were maybe the best situation for him. It, it, it's the East; uh, it's the easiest path to the finals. Uh, which you know, Kawhi doesn't isn't one to necessarily take the easy path, but it is if you're looking at you know the competitive advantages. Uh, I think the Eastern Conference is way more wide open than the Western Conference, and I, I think they they were nervous about that. They're nervous about Danny Green remaining a free agent and. Really, you know, surveying kind of the the landscape of things, the Danny Green money was kind of gone. You know, there there wasn't another great option outside of maybe Dallas for him, and it was kind of like, is he staying? You know, is he, is he remaining a free agent because Kawhi's going to stay, and they're both going to go back to Toronto, or is he, uh, you know, waiting for Kawhi to go to the Lakers and then he's going to join him on a discount for the Lakers? Because at that point, the Clippers had already acquired Mo Harkless; they didn't have uh, much remaining cap space. Keeping Jermichael Green was really important for them. Like right now, they kind of only have three rotation bigs, including Green, uh, Montrez Harrell, and Avica Zubats. I'm not ready to put Fee in that camp yet. We'll see in training camp. We'll see in preseason um, and, and the start of the season how he does. But I'm not ready to label Fee a rotation uh, rotation big until we see how he plays and, and how he fares. And he's a 22-year-old rookie, uh, which makes him a little more experienced. But at the same time, uh, you know, big men sometimes develop slower than guards, uh, especially defensively, which is supposed to be more of, I think, Fee's strength uh, than, than his offense outside of maybe his shooting. So the Clippers, you know, it was a priority to keep Jermichael Green. Uh, now, 
if Danny Green was going to swing the Kawhi sweepstakes, then sure, they they probably would have gotten Danny Green and um, you know look past the look past Jermichael. But I, I think at the end of the day, like they really prioritized Jermichael. Uh, they really wanted to keep him, and the Danny Green situation just didn't really make sense for the Clippers once they got Mo Harkless. So I think they were looking at that like, well, if Danny's still available and is waiting out Kawhi, there's probably a good chance he's going back to Toronto. So until Kawhi gave them the final word of yes, I'm in yes. Trade for Paul. That was when the Clippers finally knew. And that was about 30 minutes before the news broke. I think it broke 10 53 PM Pacific time on, on Friday, July 5th. Uh, so that, that was around 10 30 that they, they finalized the deal. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't want to spoil too much that there's more stuff in the story uh, that there's some Lakers stuff, some magic stuff. Uh, about the code of silence and, and how he broke that and, and kind of breached that and, and how it didn't help uh, the Lakers argument. Uh, there's some more stuff on, on the Clippers team building side and, and some of their thinking and, and, you know, some of the difficult decisions they had to make throughout this process. But I highly recommend you check out that article uh, on The Athletic. It was by far the, the best performing article I've ever written. Uh, and, and I want to shout out Sam, uh, shout out shams and and give them the uh proper credit you know that they both were instrumental in this process um you know helping out with with their reporting and, and piecing together the the writing uh, and the situation so uh i really think um you know the feedback's been great on it and if you have not read it yet um you know i i think you you really should uh let's take a quick break uh and then i will get into my takeaways from the Clippers introductory press conference yesterday. Summertime is pool time. All pool owners know the hardest thing about owning a pool is keeping the water safe. Testing your pool water is easy, but figuring out what to put in it can be a pain. Sutro has solved that problem. Sutro's free pool chemical calculator takes the hassle out of treating your pool. Our simple text-based interface allows you to test, text, and then treat your pool. Go to mysutro.com slash bluewire to sign up for Sutro's free pool calculator. If you own a pool or have friends or family who do, tell them about Sutro. It's the simple, safe, and convenient way to keep your pool water safe. Take the guesswork out of pool work with Sutro. Sign up for free at mysutro.com slash bluewire. That is mysutro.com dot com slash blue wire look at the world's tech leaders and high growth startup ceos i bet you wonder how in the world they have that kind of inexhaustible energy to do what they do the answer will surprise you the latest trend with top tech leaders is sleep optimization while most americans are not getting the sleep they need tech founders and ceos are optimizing their sleep to perform at peak level every day the first step the pod by 8sleep, the ultimate sleep machine. The pod is the first and only high-tech bed designed to help you achieve peak mind and body performance. Are you looking to sleep deeper? The pod dynamically adjusts the temperature on each side of the bed so you're comfortable all night. Do you want to know your sleep intel? The pod tracks your biometrics while you sleep with no need for wearable technology. Do you want to sleep better? Enjoy personalized programs and coaching designed by experts guiding you towards true sleep fitness. Because the better you sleep, the better you everything. Try the pod for 100 nights, and if you don't love it, we'll refund your purchase and arrange a free pickup. 
only at 8sleep.com slash bluewire. They already sold out of the first two batches, so they're going fast. For limited time, you can get $150 off your purchase when you go to 8sleep.com slash bluewire, E-I-G-H-T, sleep.com slash bluewire. All right, so yesterday was the big moment, the official uh, you know, the official scene of Kawhi and Paul George's Clippers. Uh, they, they've obviously both been Clippers now for almost three weeks. Uh, you know, I think officially around two weeks or a little less than two weeks, but uh, well, not not even. It's been like a week that they were kind of announced later, but. Uh, what I thought of the whole thing is like, look, I've been to a bunch of these, you know, I was at, um, I was at Chris Paul's press conference. Uh, I was at, uh, Blake, you know, the Blake Griffin resigning press conference. Uh, I was at doc rivers press conference. Um, uh, you know, on and on and on, uh, I've been at a lot of these things and this one just felt different. And to me, I thought this quote from doc, uh, you know, Doc had a quote, we're here to celebrate not only just the Clipper brand, this feels more like a movement to me. And that really, to me, is the difference between this situation and the Lob City situation is that Lob City, the, the Clippers almost lucked into Lob City in a, in a sense, like, and look, like they lucked into this too. A lot had to go right. Uh, the Kawhi the had to sour on San Antonio. Uh, then he had to go to a place that for as as you know look Toronto basically did everything right so it's hard to say Toronto did anything wrong I mean they won a freaking championship but for you know multiple reasons whatever reasons like he did not want to stay there you know and and it's you know it's I don't know if it's as black and white as like he didn't want to stay there but if he really had wanted to stay there and and loved it as much as um you know, he could possibly love a situation, he would have just stayed. He, he would not have gone to the Clippers. Uh, he would not have entertained the Clippers and Lakers. It would have just been, I'm staying in Toronto. So the Clippers lucked out in multiple ways that he soured on San Antonio, demanded a trade out of there, uh, went to Toronto. And despite that really going as well as it could have, him still wanting out. And then the Clippers being able to swing the Paul George trade when Paul did not have a lot of leverage, like he still had two years left on his deal. OKC did not have to acquiesce his request. Uh, and, and the fact that, you know, they they didn't demand even more from, from the Clippers or, or not even able to get more. Like, I think there's a lot of things that went right for the Clippers to to have both of these pieces fall through. But at the same time, going back to Lob City quickly, like you, you can't control getting the number one pick. Like that that's pure luck in the lottery uh, drafting DeAndre Jordan, 35th, that, that was a you know really smart pick, really good pick. Uh, getting Aminu and, and Eric Gordon, uh, those were also two really good picks uh, that ended up you know manifesting uh, Chris Paul. But but Chris, you remember you know basketball reasons, his primary choice at the time was the Lakers. He wanted to be a Laker, and that was blocked, and it ended up working out great for the Clippers. But to me, it, it you know because of Sterling. Because again, like, you know, getting Blake, it was just such a fluky thing. Like, you know, how, like, look at like an, or, uh, an Orlando or a, a Phoenix or, or a Sacramento. I mean, even Phoenix just got Aiton, but like, 
I, you know, there's, I mean, there's a lot of questions on that. Like, you know, Luca was in that draft, Trey Young, like uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., Marvin Bagley. Like, so I just think there, there's so much that kind of went into that where the Clippers, you know, you, you can't really credit Sterling for that. You know, maybe you could credit some of the front office, but I think they, they almost just kind of lucked into the, the Lob City situation, kind of fell into it. And it was really good. It was, you know, the best stretch of Clipper basketball. Uh, but it, it didn't it didn't end up materializing into anything. And, and it it really, if anything, was a very disappointing, uh, snake-bitten era that, that really left some fans with a bad taste in their mouth. And, you know, I, th- I think there was a lot of backlash towards the, the Clippers. And they went from, like, really the, the Golden State uh, Warriors kind of stole the Clippers under. Like, the Clippers at that time... 2012, 2013, 2014, like they were that young up and coming uh, contender who, you know, everyone kind of fell in love with and it was Lob City and, and you know, the, the Chris uh, DJ pick and rolls and, and Blake out in transition and, uh, you know, just and Jamal and JJ and like, it, it was so fun. But I, I just think that that situation obviously had a ceiling, uh, even though I think anyone who, who kind of watched intently felt they disappointed that ceiling and probably had a, a bigger, better ceiling. Um, you know, that situation just didn't work out, but this situation just feels different because I think there's something to uh, two way wings and, and that type of perimeter play where, you know, Chris for as great as Chris is, uh, and I would put him, I think he's a top five point guard of all time. And, and I think he he's closer to top three than, than a lot of people want to admit. Uh, you know, there are clearly limitations for Chris Paul's game and, you know, the biggest one probably being size, like he's six feet and that, you know, historically is not, it is rarely worked out with a point guard that small, really the only other uh, guy who, who's been able to lead a team at that size has been Isaiah Thomas. And that was just a different game uh, in the late eighties. But now with, with kind of how, how much multi-positional play there is and, and how long and athletic guys are and um, you know, the ability of, of guys six, six to six, eight to defend guards. Uh, it just really makes it tough to have a guy like Chris be your best, or I think even potentially second best player as you saw kind of Houston. Now that whole situation, you know, golden state was in their way and we'll never know what would have happened if golden state, you know, didn't exist. I, I do think Houston probably wins one championship over the last two years if Golden State doesn't exist. But they did exist, and Houston was not able to get by them. Uh, so I think, you know, you got the Chris dynamic, and then you got the Blake dynamic, where Blake was an undersized big who, um, you know, there were there were some limitations on him. You know, teams were able to double him, frustrate him a bit. Uh, you know, he didn't always have the easiest time scoring against uh, bigger players, um, you know, teams have put centers on him to to kind of try to contain him. And I, I just feel like now with Paul and Kawhi, you know, Kawhi, we just saw what Kawhi did. Kawhi just went against the Sixers, the Bucks, and the Warriors, maybe the three best teams in the league outside of Toronto, and beat all of them. And, and didn't do it single-handedly. You know, that would be disrespectful to the, the Raptors team. But there was no one, you know, sniffing uh, Kawhi Leonard's you know, stat like stature, like, you know, I would say, 
I know people love Kyle Lowry. People love Pascal Siakam. I think they're both really, really good. But I don't think either one is a top 25 player. Like Kawhi did this kind of without a top 25, maybe even top 30 player. Like, I don't, I mean, Siakam's probably in that range. Kyle's somewhere in that range. But like, if you told me you don't think, if you told me you could name 30 better players than both of them, I would not necessarily disagree with you. And I think for Kawhi to, to have that, that caliber of run really just shows you when you got a guy that's six, seven, six, eight, uh, that, that can really, you know, that that's so difficult to stop in the playoffs. And if you just look at recent championship history from, from the beginning of the nineties on it's Jordan, it's Kobe, it's LeBron and it's Kawhi. And it's, it's really been dominated by those four um, perimeter players. And, and of course you have Shaq, you have Tim Duncan, uh, you have Dirk, you, you have, I don't even want to say anomalies because Shaq has four titles, uh, you know, Duncan has four titles, but like they're anomalies in the, in the sense that they're both top 12 players of all time, top five big men of all time. Like, yes, if you have a top five big man of all time, you're going to win championships. Uh, Blake Griffin is not that level, uh, you know, for as good as he is. I think he's a future Hall of Famer. He, he's not on the level of Shaq or Tim Duncan. I don't think that's blasphemous to say. Uh, Chris Paul, while amazing, it, you know, not on my opinion, the, the level of LeBron or Jordan, uh, probably in his peak, similar level to Kobe, but you know, you can maybe say not kind of overall at that level. And that's where I, I just think that Kawhi, you know, the, the, the run he just had and, and kind of his potential moving forward to, to potentially be at this level for three to five years. Like what, why can't, Kawhi Leonard be at a similar level at 32 or 33. Uh, I just, I don't see why he can't. Uh, so you, you got that kind of Kawhi dynamic. And then Paul George, you know, Paul George just finished third in MVP voting. Uh, he had a career year. Uh, you know, the shoulder stuff is a little bit concerning, but I do think that he is a top 10 player and is probably closer to like number eight than number 10. And, you know, he, he's somewhere in that seven, eight, nine range, in my opinion, and, you know, as long as he's healthy and, and able to contribute on both ends, like that's just such a difficult duo to stop. And, and I, no one else, I think, in the league has a, a perimeter duo like that. I mean, I guess you can maybe say Steph and Clay at their peak are, are similar. Uh, Russ and Harden are, are similar if they're both, if it's good Russ, but good Russ is like, it's kind of a 50-50 proposition with that. Uh, but but really, like no one brings the the two way package. Even in the Steph Clay uh, dynamic, you can maybe say they're better offensively overall, but defensively they do not sniff the Paul George Kawhi combination. So I just think it's such a such a special uh, two way combination. I think it's probably the best two way combination of perimeter teammates we've seen since Scotty and MJ. Uh, I know the the other probably example that would come up is LeBron and Wade, but. I never, I don't feel like they were on the same level defensively. Uh, you know, peak LeBron was a, an amazing defender, a, a elite defender, uh, and so was peak Wade. But I, I think around that time, they had both uh, dipped a little bit, and they were not, uh, to me, the same caliber of defenders as, as Paul George and Kawhi Leonard collectively. Uh, it's close, and, and you could probably say maybe that's the best overall perimeter duo since Scotty and MJ. But I, I think Kawhi and Paul George are going to be right up there. And, and that's what changes this for me is that, you know, the, the Lob City thing was cute, but there was always a thunder in their way or, or uh, the Spurs or the Warriors or the Rockets. Like there was always 
you always felt like they were in the mix, but they were always like fifth or sixth in the mix. They were always, uh, you know, behind two or three teams in the West uh, and maybe a team, you know, LeBron's team and maybe another team in the East. And it was like, sure, you could make the case maybe they're the second or third best team in the league, but there's always one, two, three teams better than them. And yes, if they hit their ceiling, they hit their peak, they can make the conference finals, they can make the finals, maybe even win a championship. But there was always that limit on them. Uh, maybe that's a revisionist history argument, but that's always kind of how it felt, even in the moment. With this, I, I just don't see a better team in the league. Like maybe peak Lakers, Anthony Davis and LeBron absolutely rolling. Like, sure, may, maybe that's too unstoppable. And, uh, you know, the Clippers don't really have a great defensive option against Anthony Davis. Maybe that's it. But for me, uh, I just I don't see a team that is on paper better than the Clippers, especially one through 10. Uh, I think they have arguably the best starting lineup in the league. And I think they definitely have the best five man bench lineup in the league, uh, whether that's Landry coming off the bench or Jamichael alongside Lou and Trez, uh, Mo Harkless, and, and then probably Rodney Magruder. Uh, I just don't see a better five man bench lineup than that. And to me, that that 10 man rotation is going to be key for them during the regular season. It's going to allow them to uh, kind of stay above water if Kawhi or Paul George ever miss time, or even if Lou or Pat miss a game here or there, just because uh, you know they're approaching their mid thirties and and might need to have their minutes limited at some points. So I, I just think this is way more sustainable. This is way more dangerous, and I truly feel the Clippers, if healthy, uh, and as things stand now, of course, other teams can can make trades, can can sign certain you know buyouts, certain guys like. Stuff always changes, always happens. But as things stand right now, if the Clippers stay healthy, to me, they're clearly the best team in the league. Um, I, I would not say they're a Golden State level dominant favorite, but to me, there, there is a there's a bit of a gap between them and, and the Bucks or the Lakers or the Rockets or the Jazz or the Nuggets or the Sixers, whoever you want to pick as your next best team. Uh, I think it, it's the Clippers and, and then everybody else. And um, again, I, I think the Lakers are probably the biggest threat to them just because I, I think Anthony, I mean, I think people s kind of forget how good Anthony Davis is. And I think he's, he's, uh, you know, going to have a monster season and, and being probably in the MVP conversation. Uh, but outside of that, you know, and, and that's more of a concern for the playoffs if they end up facing the Lakers, uh, th than anything outside of that, I, I just don't really see uh, a team that, that can beat this team in a seven game series. So that's what felt different. And I know that, that was a bit of a tangent, but but that's something that I've been thinking about for a while. And I wanted to get off my chest and just kind of explain to me, as Doc said, this feels more like a movement. You know, this doesn't just feel like slapping together a roster and, and, a, and a couple of stars. And, and you know, and, and that that's the other thing is that Blake and Chris, you know, at the end of the day, Blake and Chris never got along. And, you know, there's varying degrees of it. There's some of that kind of Kobe Shaq dynamic where after the fact, it's been patched up a little bit better than it was. Like, they just never saw eye to eye. They're, sure, there were, there were better moments that, than, than some. And, you know, there's definitely some good times in there uh, to, to go with the bad times. But Chris and Blake were never fully on the same page. I think Kawhi and, and Paul George are, are cut from the same cloth. They're very similar personality-wise, temperamentally. Uh, you know, they're very similar games, uh, very similar upbringings and backgrounds and stuff like it's just there's there's so much similarity there that I do think this is going to be a much cleaner partnership than the Chris Blake dynamic. And I, I just think that with the culture the Clippers have, have built over the last couple of years, the infrastructure, 
the power of the influential figures of the organization, whether that's Steve Ballmer, Doc Rivers, Lawrence Frank, Jerry West, Michael Winger, on and on. Like they just have such a good, I think, cohesion and, and just sound infrastructure that they can withstand almost anything that comes their way um, w- within reason. Like obviously, if if quiet Paul George leave in twenty twenty one, the Clippers are screwed. Like there, there's no way around that. Uh, th- there's no recovery to losing both those guys and then not having your next like four or five picks like that would be devastating but you know barring something drastic like that i think in almost any context uh anything that gets thrown the clippers way i think they're going to be able to survive uh but going into my six takeaways from the presser i just wrote about this for the athletics so you should check that out if you're subscribed if you have not subscribed uh you can you know test it out for a week for a free uh trial and and just see kind of you know, read this piece, read uh, my, my co-reported piece with, with Sam and uh, and see what you think. And if you like it, uh, you know, you can keep subscribing uh, for only a few bucks a month. But quickly, my, my six takeaways, uh, destiny. And what do I mean by that? Well, one of the talking points for Paul and Kawhi was they, they kept bringing up how they almost played together in Indiana. Uh, in case you forgot, Paul was drafted by Indiana in uh, 2010. Kawhi was drafted by the Pacers in 2011, uh, but was shipped on draft night to San Antonio for George Hill. And Paul had an interesting quote about how he was kind of nervous when the Pacers drafted Kawhi Leonard. Because at that time, the Pacers had uh, Danny Granger, who was their all-star forward or small forward. And and Paul was playing the two, actually. Uh, And he was kind of like, well, this guy Kawhi is going to come in. You know, we already have Danny, who's... Uh, you know, kind of entrenched as the starting three, the, the, you know, forward of the future, which, which is kind of funny in retrospect, because, uh, you know, that did not end up working out. Uh, and, and then Paul was like, am I going to have competition now for the two? Like what, what's going on here? Uh, but, but he went on to say, you know, with, with the way his career has developed and played out the way Kawhi's career has played out, uh, he kind of, it's, it's kind of an all time what if for him, uh, of what that would have looked like had he, you know, had the Pacers kept Kawhi, had they been able to play together, grow together. Uh, and th- if you're a Pacers fan, you got to be kicking yourself because that's that's an all-time what if. And uh, I, I really think, you know, had Paul and Kawhi stayed together, there's no reason why that Pacers team wouldn't be running the East or at least, at least having a chance to beat Le- LeBron's Heat or LeBron's Cavs and potentially, you know, probably making a finals at least a couple times and potentially even winning a championship. So uh, I think now Clipper fans are going to get to enjoy that and, and see with both guys firmly in their primes and pretty much at their relative peaks. Like uh, I, I think Clipper fans are going to kind of get to live through what uh, Pacer fans probably wish that they could have lived through. But uh, Kawhi spoke to something similar of he's thought about what it would have been like to, to be in Indiana and play with Paul. And uh, again, with a lot of the times with these press conferences, you got to kind of cut through the BS of like, what's just lip service? What's real? I think there's an element of lip service here where it's kind of an easy narrative. It's a nice narrative uh, for them to say that and kind of tie it all together and give it some extra meaning. I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I will say uh, it's interesting. And it's interesting that because again, as I just said a couple of minutes ago, like there are so many similarities between these two that for them to both be on the same page and say, it was destiny for us to play together. We we wanted to play together. Uh, we've we've been on each other's radars uh, from from playing in the same tournaments in high school and, and seeing each other, different stuff. Like 
you know, that to me was interesting. And, and that adds another layer to this dynamic of, of Paul and Kawhi, because really, I think one thing that can play to the Clippers advantage w- with all of this is going to be how strong that relationship is. Because again, they both can opt out and probably both will opt out in 2021. And, you know, as long as they're on the same page and, and things are good with the franchise, uh, there's no reason why they both won't resign in 2021. So I, I think that, you know, that's going to be a thing moving forward kind of to, to monitor is what's that dynamic like between those two. Uh, second takeaway or observation is load management might be put to rest. And, and that to me was actually the biggest thing of all, to, you know, the entire press conference, like uh, because you know, Kawhi famously last season rested 22 games, uh, uh, you know, to kind of address that quad injury that that held him to only nine games in, in the 2017, 2018 season. And, you know, he came up, spoke to the Raptors organization, came up with a, a schedule. He rested a lot, you know, pretty much all back-to-backs. And anytime there's an intense pocket of the schedule, so that was maybe like, you know, a game, a day off, and like a back-to-back, or like a back-to-back into a day off and then another game. Like, he, he was, they are very selective. And, in, in, um, you know, one thing I thought was interesting is he, he only played five or more games, uh, five or more consecutive games twice all season. Which was which was pretty crazy. So he was he was always resting every three to five games, basically. And the Raptors went seventeen and five uh, in the games he missed. I'm sure they were also selective about like, hey, we're playing the the Cavs or the Knicks. Like you can sit out tonight, we'll be fine. Uh, so there was an element of that. Also, you know, Raptors playing the East, so inherently their schedule is a little bit easier. But I, I think for the Clippers, they're you know heading into next season, there's a bit of a concern of. If Kawhi rests 15 to 20 games, like, you know, what, what's Clippers record going to be? You know, even if Paul is playing and, and available for all 15, 20, you know, what are they, they could go, he misses 20 games. They might go 12 and eight, 13 and seven, even 14 and six, and like have a worse record than they would have had, had Kawhi played in those 20 games. And while ultimately it kind of matters about him being healthy for the playoffs, you seating is important and we've consistently seen this where like you rarely see a team make the finals as a five or six seed, even as like a four seed, you know, you pretty much have to be a top two or three seed to have a legitimate chance at making the finals historically. So for the Clippers, you know, while they would rather have Paul and Kawhi be healthy and then be a four or five seed, than then be the one seed. And one of those two guys either be injured or, or not close to a hundred percent. Uh, seating does matter and, and that's going to be something to monitor all season is uh, kind of that balance of like keeping those guys fresh while also maintaining their place in the standings. But Kawhi said, you know, when he was asked about his load management uh, that he plans on on playing as of right now, he plans on playing the full season and, and being at full strength and, you know, no rest plans. He said it would be a game by game basis. So that that's kind of his out, his cover of, if he, you know, if, if he doesn't, if he wants to rest here or there, he, he probably will. I, I don't see him going from crediting load management to, to helping his playoffs and finals, uh, you know, so much to not resting at all. I, I just don't think that is logical. I, I do think he should probably rest a little bit, but if he's resting five to 10 games versus 15 to 20, those extra five to 10 games and potentially even 15, if you're looking at the range of, of five versus 20, like those are huge. And that can really swing the Clippers uh, regular season that could swing their playoffs. Like 
I think if if they're health, if you tell me right now that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are both going to play seventy plus games, I think the Clippers are going to win close to sixty wins, if not sixty plus wins, be the number one seed in the West, and probably be the number one seed in the league. And uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet everything on that, but I'm pretty confident in that. That if those guys are both healthy, no other major injuries to any other top five six guys, you're just like normal normal health. Maybe some guys miss five, ten, fifteen games here or there. But for the most part, everyone's healthy, no major injuries. There's no reason why this team can't win 60-plus games, in my opinion. Uh, so the Kawhi development was huge. Uh, I think that's great news for the Clippers and for Clipper fans who who are you know kind of concerned about that. On the other front, uh, the third observation is Paul George. The, the, there's no update. <laughs> he was asked about uh, his shoulder situation, his recovery, his timetable, and there's no set date. He said... Uh, he said he's progressing well, so that seems to be encouraging, but I doubt he, and no one ever says they're progressing poorly. Uh, that, that's always something that gets like leaked or, or reported. Like it, it's, it's always a behind the scenes thing. No one ever says publicly like, yeah, my rehab's going terribly. Uh, so that there's really nothing to glean with that. Like that, I mean, that is for now is kind of the thing looming over the start of the Clipper season is, is when is Paul George going to be back? Is it, is it training camp? Is it preseason? Uh, is it, you know, he misses the first week two weeks four weeks uh, of the season like uh two months like who who knows how long he's gonna be out uh but that on that front there was no update uh the battle of la and, and this this to me was another big theme for for the whole event was um you know, there were some barbs from the, from the clippers and i actually like that because i feel like you know laker fans have, have are so vocal with the whole i you know i really think laker fans bring up the whole lakers clippers thing more than clippers fans do now maybe i'm biased maybe that's just you know my worldview of, of my experience on twitter but pretty much anything i've tweeted clippers related over the last month i've had laker fans in my mention over every in my mentions over everything on twitter and it's just been it's been nonstop and like i get it it's a you know it's a rivalry it's it's a it's a you know just a it's a weird dynamic of having two teams in the same city, especially when one has been so historically great, one has been so historically poor, and then that's kind of flipped over the last seven, eight years, uh, where the Clippers have been so much better than the Lakers. Uh, but it still hasn't resulted in a championship. And I, I think until the Clippers win a championship, they, you know, the Lakers will always pull that sixteen rings versus zero rings, uh, or Lakers fans, excuse me, uh, will we'll always pull that dynamic out. So I think for the Clippers, like once they win the title, sure, it might be 16 to one, 16 to two, whatever it is at, the, at that time. But uh, I think that's really going to be the, the Clippers kind of fight back is going to be, you know, Clippers won a title this year. You know, Laker fans start bringing up the titles. They could be like, well, look, you guys haven't won in a decade. We just won a title. Like, shut up. Uh, but I thought it was nice to see Lawrence Frank took a shot in his opening remarks. He, he said, uh, you know, he mentioned the drama free culture that the Clippers have. Uh, as something that attracted Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, which you wouldn't necessarily take as a shot at the Lakers, except for he followed that up uh, in the premier market of the NBA. So he specifically went to, you know, drama free or, you know, drama free culture in Los Angeles. And that definitely spoke to the Lakers, uh, you know, whether he intentionally wanted to take a shot at the Lakers or whether that was just kind of him praising the Clippers. We don't know, but there was some kind of sub uh barbs at the at the lakers th throughout the whole press conference uh, and really one thing i noticed and, and i think also speaks to this whole Kawhi paul george situation and why things feel so different is that both of those guys push back on the narrative about the lakers and and being in the lakers shadow and 
um, that that even matters. And and I, I felt like Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and, and DeAndre, you know, they had their moments where they they might have spoke out against the Lakers or kind of that whole dynamic. But it does seem like from the jump, you know, inherently. Because look, the Lakers didn't have the number one pick to to potentially draft Blake Griffin. They didn't pass on Blake Griffin. Uh, I don't remember the draft order in 2008. So I, I'm sure, I guess the, the Lakers probably passed on DeAndre w- with one of their picks. But, uh, you know, and then Chris, the Lakers didn't pass on him. The Lakers tried to get him. Uh, just got blocked by the NBA. So fast forward now, Kawhi and Paul George both spurned the Lakers. Paul George spurned them in back-to-back summers. Uh, well, I mean, the first summer, not really, but like, you know, he didn't end up going there. Then, then last summer, he spurned them and LeBron. This summer, Kawhi spurned uh, them and LeBron. So there's some bad blood there. Like, if you're the Lakers, if you're LeBron James, if you're Rob Polinka, uh, Jeannie Buss, like, I would be upset with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Uh, I, I would have some ill will towards them. I would have some bad blood towards them. Um, you know, the, Paul George to, to the Lakers was a lock for a year until it wasn't. Uh, Kawhi, you know, was presumed to be going to the Clippers, but... During free agency, everything that was coming out was Lakers, 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 Lakers. Uh, he's going to the Lakers. He's going to the Lakers. And that didn't happen. And, and that cost the Lakers some free agents. Uh, they, they've come out, or not come out, but kind of back-channeled that they're upset and they feel played and, and this and that. And, you know, there's some bad blood from, from the Lakers to the Clippers, specifically Kawhi and Paul George. Uh, and what I liked was Paul Paul and, and Kawhi leaned into it. They, they both fired back, you know, uh, Kawhi was asked a question about being the Lakers shadow. And the first thing he said is, well, you know, Clippers have been the better team for the last few years. So like, you know, are, are they really, are we really in their shadow? Like it's, it's more of a media thing. You know, they're going to get the media attention. They're going to, you know, they're the Lakers. They won all these championships. They have this history, whatever. They're going to get the media attention. Even if we win a championship, we might not get the same media attention, but I don't really care as long as we win a championship. So I felt that was, that was kind of nice to see uh, the, the, the pushback from, from Paul and Kawhi. Uh, because their their voice carries more weight than anybody's, right? Like, you know, Lawrence can say what he wants to say. Doc can say what he wants to say. Steve can say what he wants to say. Anyone within the Clippers organization can come out and, and say this or that uh, about the Lakers, take shots at them, whatever. But for it to come from Kawhi and Paul and for them to really be leaning into the rivalry and um, sort of the battle for LA, whatever you want to call it, the hallway series, whatever, I thought that was a nice sign and a nice thing to see. Uh, two quick things. Uh, to you know, to to end the podcast on on the observations front, the culture attractiveness. Uh, you know, one thing with culture is sometimes it, it it's kind of this like amorphous thing where people are like, you know, ev- everyone's always trying to establish a culture. You either have a culture or you're trying to establish it, and uh, I think you see this a lot of times with, with situations like Phoenix, Orlando, Sacramento. Uh, you know, now maybe Cleveland, like where it's been dysfunctional for, for multiple years uh, and, you know, not a lot of success, you, you know, you're always kind of rebuilding your culture and every, every new season you're overhauling your roster. And now it's like, all right, now this is our culture. This is our identity. Well, the Clippers have established a culture and an identity over the last couple of years with their new front office, with, with revamping the organization. They are the, the blue collar hard hat, um, you know, hardworking antithesis to the really to the Lakers brand to, to some extent uh, of the glitz and the glamour, the Hollywood stuff. Like the Clippers are the opposite of that. That is not in the nature of Steve Ballmer. That is not in the nature of Lawrence Frank, of of Michael Winger, 
of, of even Doc Rivers. You know, I think Doc has a little bit of that of that sizzle. Uh, you know, he, he is a showman a bit. He, he's charismatic. He, he's got a personality, but um, you know, he and you know, he's friends with celebrities and, and different people. But you know, overall, I would say that the organizational ethos does align with you know, hardworking, um, doing things the right way, and, and really putting the work above all else. And they, they found players that, that match that Pat Beverly, Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell, Jermichael Green, uh, you know, on and on and on the, the Clippers found those types of, of right pieces to supplement star talent. And Paul George and Kawhi both cited the Clippers culture as something they wanted to be a part of, you know, for Kawhi, it was, you know, very much, this is, you know, they play the right way. They play the way I play. It's about two way basketball. It's about being hardworking for Paul. He cited the, the on-court chemistry, the, the camaraderie, Doc Rivers' ability to, to coach a team uh, and, and just kind of get everybody to buy into their role. So I, you know, for uh, there's been some, you know, for people who have criticized the Clippers over the last couple of years, you know, they've criticized the Blake trade, the Tobias trade. Uh, they've taken shots at the culture thing of like, oh, that's cute. Oh, you know, that's cheesy. Oh, that's whatever. But this really proved, in my opinion, that that thing is real. And whether you want to believe in culture, whether you think it's overrated, uh, whether you want to believe in an organizational identity, you know, Kawhi and Paul George both came out and said that. Now, again, maybe some of that's lip service to some extent, but I think they meant it. I think they really believe that. And I do think that's a big reason why, uh, the, you know, they landed both of those guys was, you know, not only the the potential for them to play together and win championships, but it really aligned fully uh, where everyone's on the same page. You know, Paul George is a private guy. Kawhi's a private guy. Clippers front office is very private and secretive. Um, and that code of silence, you know, was they would happily abide by that because they don't like leaking things. They don't like, um, you know, having things come out b before they're ready to. So I think from that uh, sense, it was a perfect fit. And the last observation I had uh, was, was the tampering front. You know, so afterward, uh, I was able to talk to Lawrence Frank uh, for, for a few minutes in a media scrum. And, um, you know, one of the questions he was asked is, is about this tampering situation where the, the league, uh, according to ESPN, is, is now investigating, you know, some of these deals that happen right away at the start of free agency. Like, for example, Kemba Walker siding with Boston. And that had already been leaked two days before. Uh, that had been leaked two days before free agency even started. But, you know, right away, without even meeting with Boston, he, he agrees to sign with Boston and stuff like that. So the Clippers don't really have anything that falls in line with that. Like, you know, the only signing they did on the first day of free agency was Pat Beverly. That was a few days into uh, free agency. And you're actually allowed to talk to, uh, I might be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure you're allowed to talk to your own free agents uh, kind of before the free agent process. Um, and, and, you know, the, there's no really concerns, I think, on, on the Pat front, at, at least. Now, the Kawhi front, uh, you know, that, that was kind of one of the, you know, questions within the questions uh that was asked to lawrence and and he addressed that and basically said look we did everything by the book we followed the rules we are very transparent uh you know we went to games in person to scout and study him and you know we didn't talk to him or his people we we know the rules we followed them you know how steve operates is, is always going to be uh with, with integrity and and you know playing you know we were very well of the, aware of the rules we did not even step close to the line and I think that was an interesting point because, again, like, um, you know, with some of this press conference stuff, like, it's like Lawrence Rank is going to be like, well, you asked me about tampering. So, you know, just so you know, 
I did tamper and I wanted to admit it here uh, for, for the public to, to find out. Uh, yes, we tampered. Like, no, that's never going to happen. You know, he's never going to say that. But I do think there's an element of the Clippers were very transparent. Like it was the worst kept secret pretty much from almost from last summer on, but really from like November on that the Clippers really wanted Kawhi Leonard. He was their top guy. He was their top target. They were scouting him. Uh, Steve Ballmer went up there for the game in Toronto. I was there for that. Uh, you know, Lawrence scouted him in person, which is rare for a president of basketball operations to do that. Uh, you know, Doc got fined $50,000 for tampering, for talking about him on ESPN in the finals, like on and on and on. Uh, I keep saying that. Uh, uh, the Clippers, you know, were very transparent of, we want Kawhi Leonard. And Lawrence clarified they didn't recruit him. You know, it was more of like just attracting him, pitching him, whatever. Again, verbiage is is delicate and, recruit no one wants to recruit i guess people don't like the word but i you know whether you want to say recruit or not uh the the clippers did make it like look showing up in person making it known we're scouting you like that is a form of like hey we're interested but that's within the rules there's nothing illegal about that and as long as they didn't have back channel conversations uh and you know promises and different stuff like that they didn't tamper so uh and the one time they did tamper was doc talking on espn and they got fined for it so uh, I, I think that was kind of, you know, the first time Lawrence had had been able to really address that situation um, because th- th- there have been some rumors of, you know, teams being like, oh, the Clippers tampered, uh, they did this. You know, it, it was it's kind of anytime someone gets someone, there's always the the, the threat of, oh, they tampered to get that guy uh, when pretty much everyone tampers to some extent. It's just a matter of whether you get caught. And, you know, the, the line on tampering is very kind of unclear. I mean, there's certain things, obviously, that are, are very clear, but uh, there's a lot of gray area with the tampering stuff. So uh, that is this week's show. Uh, apologize for the inconsistency in my scheduling. Uh, it's just been a crazy time, like working on that story that, that came out Tuesday. Uh, you know, I was working on that five, six days straight, eight to 10 hours a day, uh, nonstop, you know, talking to people, uh, talking to Sam, uh, talking to Shams. And, and writing that story and, and structuring it and breaking it down and going through all our notes and, and making sure we covered everything and the word choice and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, not had a very consistent schedule over the last few weeks of summer, uh, but hoping to get back into the routine of, of having these podcasts come out, you know, typically uh, on, on Tuesdays. So thank you as always for listening. Uh, again, if you've not subscribed to The Athletic, please check out my work there. Uh, you know, you can subscribe for one week for free, uh, one week free trial. And if you like it, continue to subscribe. If you don't, then you can unsubscribe. You can follow me on social media at Jovan Buha. That's at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram. And last, but certainly not least, most important, uh, subscribe to this podcast, uh, Clip City Podcast. Uh, subscribe to other Blue Wire podcasts. Check them out at least. Give give them a listen. And if you like this podcast, please be sure to rate and review it. Five star rating, hopefully. Uh, you know, positive comments. Again, I am always checking the reviews, the ratings. Uh, I really appreciate everybody for their feedback. Uh, for the most part, again, as I've said before, it's been pretty positive. So thank you for that. And I will be back next week.
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.